All right, we're going to start a new series, I think about seven or eight weeks, uh, in the book of Philippians. By the way, let me recommend the book of Philippians to you if you're looking for um, a place to spend your own devotional time with the Lord that's uh, a little easier, if I could say it that way, right? Sometimes you get into a book and you're like, this will be great, and you're like, I am drowning. Uh, This one is an easier place to read. James is also that way. Um, The Gospels are that way. Um, There's certainly some Old Testament books that are that way too. You just want to be selective. Um, But Philippians is a great book to study through. uh, And so I want to encourage you with that. I actually want to start with a video. Chad told me I couldn't do it, but I told him work is magic and make it happen. Uh, If you are listening to this uh, via our website, we will put the link over there, but you will not hear the audio from this video for which I apologize. But if you're here in person, that's why you should come. You enjoy it. And uh, hopefully it'll kind of spur our study. I wanted to start there because um, if we're not careful, and this is a theme you'll hear around here often, we can think that the gospel is A, B, and C of the Christian life. But the reality is that the gospel is A through Z. It touches every part of our lives. There's actually an answer in Jesus for loneliness. It's interesting that uh, there's a Forbes article that this um, video was cited in, and they kind of go on to try to figure out how to make work better, right, or how to uh, address social media or friendships or, right, those sort of societal fixes. But, but as we come to the book of Philippians, we actually learn that God has a plan that answers that. Um, and, and, it's, and I think that the, the data that he mentioned is pretty interesting, so I just wanted to give you a few statistics Uh, This is from a survey in May of 2018 of 20,000 adults uh, in the United States, so it's a pretty good spread of people. Um, Interestingly, about, according to that study, about 46% of people felt alone, either sometimes or always. Uh, 27% rarely or never felt as though there were people who really understood them. Uh, There's some stats in there about isolation. I thought uh, the one about three-quarters of the way down, 18% didn't feel like there are people they can talk to. And tied to that, only 53% have meaningful in-person social interactions, like having an extended conversation with a friend or spending quality time with family on a daily basis. That's pretty, pretty staggering. And then interestingly, and this might come as no surprise to you, but the loneliest generation of adults was what, um, uh, what are those people called? People who organize, yeah, uh, Generation Z. Uh, people from 18 to 22 years old. All right, and I don't think this should surprise us, should it? We have the reality in our area of just this valley of a suicide epidemic, if you want to call it that. And, and oftentimes loneliness is tied to that. As, much res- as many resources as we have, as much things as we have at our fingertips, we're actually a society that battles often with sadness, aren't we? One pastor who's been in in this valley for a long time, I was actually talking about this yesterday with some friends, the book of Philippians and this idea. Um, A pastor who's been in this valley for dozens of years, uh, similar to Pastor Lloyd, would argue that that the greatest struggle among Christians, one of Satan's greatest tools in this valley, is isolation. It's real. And so the article concludes with this thought. Of course, you can blame individuals for loneliness, loneliness, and tell them to make more friends, talk to more people. This is not what we would advise, but drink more so that you can become an entertaining spectacle at the holiday party. (laughs) 
But the fact that loneliness has been steadily increasing since the 1980s suggests that the loneliness epidemic may be a systems problem rather than just an individual problem. He said, that's great. How does that tie to the book of Philippians? You know, Philippians has two large themes that tie directly into this reality. That this is God's answer for our loneliness. Is that in Jesus, he has planned us to be in deep and meaningful partnership. Both with God himself and with one another. And that part of the fruit of that partnership is joy. That even in the midst of a sinful, cursed world, with all its frustrations, we can live in joy and in meaningful connection with one another. And so we come to the book of Philippians this morning and, and want to touch on some of those things. If you want to get to know the book of Philippians, uh, here's some quick you know, Cliff's notes on it. It was written by Paul. Uh, Paul would have what we would call the gift of an evangelist. He was a church planter. It was like you could just drop Paul in villages, and he just started talking to people about Jesus, and churches started to spring up as God blessed what he did. That, that's pretty, it's pretty amazing to read and watch. It's uh, humbling to someone who feels very deficient in those ways to watch what God does through Paul. It's written to a church he started. Acts 16 tells that story. Uh, it's well worth the read this week if you would like. Uh, Paul was actually only in Philippi for a couple weeks. I mean, it was a kind of a whirlwind and uh, not always the smoothest world, um, but God used even that brief time. It was the first Greek city where the gospel went in about AD 51. And then there was this really special ongoing connection between the church at Philippi and Paul. At the end of the book, it says that they sent resources once and again to Paul's needs. They also sent uh, an entourage of people to encourage him when he was in prison. And then Paul would write letters to them. He actually made a couple return visits to the city. There was just this connection. And so when this book was written, we, we believe was about AD 61. So the reason those dates are important is that these guys were connected for how long when the book is written? This is difficult math. 10 years, right? This wasn't a, you know, we've known each other for a week or two and we're getting engaged and married. This was a connected relationship for a while. And aren't those special? Right? Like, like as you have relationships around Jesus with people over time, something special happens. That doesn't happen in a week or two. That really doesn't even happen in a month or two. Now, now it is amazing in the gospel that we can meet someone we've never met and have an immediate connection. Isn't that cool? When we meet other Christians and we're like, you love Jesus too. And then sometimes we find out we have mutual friends and you can get this quick connection that's special. But really what's happening in this book is a long-term connection. And those are really special. And so that's Paul's heart. And I don't know, how many of you have Skype conversations regularly? Right, a lot of us who are spread out have family. Some of you have all your family around, you're spoiled. But the rest of us have these Skype conversations and you actually couldn't um, outline them. You'd be like, okay, mom and dad, first, we're going to talk about Timothy's health and well-being. Secondly, we'd like to talk about his play habits. Third, we'd like to talk about his sin, right? When we call grandma and grandpa, we, th that's not the way the conversation goes, right? If you, if you were to map out the conversation, it kind of goes like this, you know. And then at the end, you're like, we love you so much, and Bye. In a sense, that's the way the book of Philippians is. It's just this wandering, wonderful conversation 
between Paul and a church and a group of people that he loves. I, I would dare say if you wanted to, to label it, this is, this is a healthy church. Isn't that our prayer at Gospel Hope, that we would be a healthy church that plants healthy churches? So there's so much we can learn from this book together. Uh, a couple themes are that idea of pursuing Jesus, Christ-likeness together, getting to know him and living with joy. So let's jump into the book. Philippians chapter 1, we'll look at the first 11 verses today. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. We need some of those, so let's uh, make some recommendations. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's where Paul starts. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul had a special relationship with these people. And I I just got to tell you right off the bat, Paul doesn't always start his letters this way. There are some churches where Paul has hard things to say that are hard letters to write, that there are issues to address, and there are problems to dig into. And when he writes the Philippians, it's almost like he can just write the letter. Do you have people like this in your life? That, that you can just go out for pizza with and it's just joyful? There's like, there's like no pressure. This is a no pressure relationship. There, there's no agenda. There's no issue. There's just let's talk about Jesus and be together. That's this church. Verse 6. And I am sure of this. See, the confidence isn't just rooted in the relationship. It's actually rooted in something deeper. That he who began a good work in you. Notice Paul's not taking credit there. He's, he's giving credit where it's actually due. That God who started this work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of grace with me both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. I swear before God how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God and praise of God. How does this letter begin? It starts with a thankful prayer to God. I'm I'm convicted even as I read this that often I come to God with my list of needs. And, and, And Paul actually starts with a thankful heart. And he's thankful because he has a special relationship with these people. So what does his prayer to God look like? Well, it's a prayer filled with joy. Sometimes we lose this, and I I appreciate, I think Danny kind of even alluded to this in the message, Jesus' frustration with people because they got so into the weeds and created their own regulations that they missed the point of why he had designed the Sabbath, for rest and refreshment and, and comfort and for good things. Do you know joy is not an afterthought to God? Let's illustrate this. Can I, this is going to require participation I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Uh, can somebody take Psalm 16, verse 11? That's willing to just read it nice and loud. 
Okay, Gina, thank you. And uh, someone other than my wife, take John 15, verse 11. She always volunteers when I ask because she feels bad. Now she's embarrassed. Paul, John 15, 11, thank you. Sorry, babe. Oh, you later. Just listen to these verses, one uh, from the Old Testament, one from the New, one from the life of Jesus, one from David, the psalmist. Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God has designed us that as we get to know him and ultimately as we are with him, that it's a place of full joy. Right? John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Okay, so Jesus talking to the disciples. God intends our lives to be joyful. I know my life is not always joyful. But that's how God intends it. I was thinking this week. Um, think about the list in, in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The first one is love. Now, none of us would argue that that's important to God. That we love him, that we love others, that we know his love for us. What's the second one? Joy. Now, now that list could have been ordered any number of ways. But the second one in the list is joy. You know what's one of the things that God uses to draw people to the gospel is your joy? Not that you live in a happy way that nothing bothers me in life and nothing is ever hard, but our lives in Jesus should not be constantly um, awful. As we see the big picture of what he's done for us, even amidst life's hard stuff, we should have joy. And this is a joy-filled prayer. I actually read an interesting article this week about full joy and that idea. I would encourage you to read this. The article is by John Piper. It's kind of an ask the pastor sort of thing. Um, so if you Google kind of John Piper, full joy, here's what he says. Three observations about joy. How do we know if our joy is full? First, he says, uh, actually four observations. In this life, where our sin and misery and other people's sin and misery compete to make us sad. We do not have fullness of joy in the sense of having so much joy that joy has no competitors. Even Jesus was a man of sorrows in this life, Isaiah 53. But then he says this, We can be said to have fullness of joy in God if our joy in God is so full that it outweighs all other competing emotions and overflows in love for others. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. Secondly, we can be said to have fullness of joy in God if our joy in God is so full that we know we have arrived at the end of our quest for satisfaction. In other words, there may be ups and downs in our level of satisfaction owing to sin or pain, but we never need to be in doubt that Christ is the end of our search. Look just over in Philippians 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. My, my joy, I know where the real source, I know where the real well is. And everything else is just dirty puddles. And then he says this, we can be said to have fullness of joy in God if our joy in God is so full that it rises to the heights of overflowing gladness in song or other forms of exuberance, Ephesians 5, 
being filled with the Spirit and singing. The day is coming when Christ will finally work in us the capacities to enjoy God fully. This is a book that revolves around this idea of joy, and God intends you to have it. He intends the Spirit to develop in you love and joy and the rest of the list. So we see that this is a prayer that Paul makes with joy, but there's a reason for his joy. It's a joy built on partnerships. This, uh, yesterday actually, I was talking to my dad and he was asking me about our church. That's a cool conversation to have. And my dad is in a church in Maine um, that they're kind of looking at a pastor who's gonna be retiring at some point and they're just praying through like what do the next steps look like and um, they're having some similar challenges I think that, that happened here and just praying through how do we move forward and, and what do the next steps look like. And I started to kind of try to like in my own mind make the connections of how all this came together. And do you know what it is in the end? I mean it's God's work. But it's paving the way for all these amazing partnerships. Paul says this about the church. Because of your partnership in the gospel, it's partnership for a reason, from the first day until now. Two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, I didn't know Pastor Lloyd. I actually met Lloyd and Marty at Sizzler at a lunch. I still remember it because I was super sick and I drank a Sprite. That was my Sizzler experience. <clears throat> so sad, huh? But watching God connect Danny and Lloyd and before that Gospel Grace and Will and um, the Kevin and Daniel and then this church family and to get to know like the Salazar clan, the Larkin clan, like the we could have you raise, raise your hands and all, you're all connected and, and see, because it's not just like pastoral partnerships, it's actually like people partnerships. This is what's beautiful about community groups. There are partnerships building and growing. And if you're here at Gospel Hope and you're like, I don't really feel like I'm connected to anyone. At some point, can I say this? I'm just gonna say it in the Matt way. It's your fault. There are ways to be partnered and connected and to be deeply connected. Now, they're not going to happen on Sunday morning only and by accident. They're actually going to happen as you plug in and get to know people, and then you go to dinner together, and then you go to a ball game together, and then you talk about what God's doing in your life, and then it's just going to do this like web thing that's amazing. And God designed you to live in that. I mean, I was at a church down in Farron last Sunday preaching, and I used Gideon as a sermon illustration. I didn't know Gideon two years ago, but, but we have a partnership and we're getting to know each other and it's, it's growing and Paul says, that, that does amazing stuff. It's a relationship built on partnership and by the way, our gospel hope partnerships, they go well beyond these four walls, don't they? I mean, they go to people we've never met who pray for us and who give and who come out on trips. I mean, Marty and I were just talking about this, that in some ways what God has done here through outside influences is in a good way like poured gasoline on a fire. Because we knew by God's grace where we wanted to go, but it would have taken this group of people years to hang door hangers on every door in Riverton. 
And so actually teenagers came out who spent their money or their parents' money and their week of their summer. And instead of going on vacation somewhere, they, they came here. And then in the, you know, wonderfully um, comforting Utah sun, <laughs> they walked streets and hung door hangers and they partnered with us. We have a cleaning list. Do you know that there's amazing partnering things that can happen on a cleaning list? We came out here a few weeks ago with uh, Tim and Lizzie Adam, and we cleaned together. Do you know what happens when you serve together with other believers? You connect, you partner, you get to know them better, you make jokes, you laugh at stuff, you find fingernails. Sorry. If that's you, <laughs> you partner. You find a place to serve together. And stuff happens because God planned it that way. And Paul said, this is a church that we've partnered in the gospel together. We've, we've connected serving Jesus. And so he prays with joy but this partnership isn't just limited to an interpersonal partnership. Look at verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's actually a deeper connection that underlies all of this. It's that God is working in you and through you. And here's the thing about personal partnerships and connections. They're imperfect. Aren't they? Because of sin and just us, they hurt sometimes. They disappoint. Sometimes they even fall apart and are left unrepaired for long periods of time and maybe until eternity. But there's a perfect partnership going on that you and I have with God himself through Jesus that we can have complete confidence in. And Paul says that partnership brings him so much joy and confidence. And so he's just kind of overflowing here in verse 7. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace it's because they've been through some stuff together. Doesn't that draw you closer with people? When you cheer together and you cry together, there's a partnership that God forges. Can I just encourage you to plug into those kind of partnerships as imperfect as they are? Because you're actually doing something you're experiencing God's grace together. You're on his mission and you're experiencing his grace. So, so when someone you've been praying for finally believes in Jesus, you're, you're seeing God's grace and you're cheering together. And, and when you suffer loss and you don't even know what to say, but you just stand, sit there in a hospital with someone or you stand there and you hug them and your best thing to do is not to say anything. 
and you experience God's comfort, together you're experiencing God's grace. It's a beautiful thing. But you have to know people and be connected to people and know God to experience that stuff. And Paul says that's the partnership that he's experienced. And and I love verse 9, or verse, uh, sorry, the end of verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I just love you in Jesus. When I was a teenager, my parents had very strict rules about who I was allowed to say I love you to and not. You know, that there, there were some lines there that I needed to be careful of. And as a 16-year-old, I didn't fully understand the power of those words, the impact of those words, the danger of those words to some degree. But do you know the, the longer as an adult that I walk among God's people and eat pizza together and, and go hang door hangers together and meet at church in the park together and sit in a community group together, do you know that I've actually become a lot more relaxed and free with just saying, I just, I love you. I'm so thankful to God for you. Now, now my love for them is different than my love for my wife, as it should be. But it's still sincere, real love. And so Paul prays for these people. How does he pray? This is convicting. So this this section begins and ends with a prayer. And it is my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Can I just challenge us all that, that verses like this should reshape how we pray? See, prayer is both something that is natural in, in some ways easy, just, we're just talking to God. So, so in a way, it's not something we should overthink. We, should, we shouldn't make it formulaic. We shouldn't make it repetitious. But I'll tell you, as I read verses like this, they sound very different than the way that I naturally pray as a human being. So, so let's think as we pray for these people we're partnered with. What should we be praying Well, first, that their knowledge and discernment would grow, that they would know God more, that they would know his word, that they would know how that would impact how they live. And then that they would be pure and blameless. That knowing what God wants and how he wants us to live, we would respond by doing what God says. And then that we'd be fruitful. We'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. This was convicting even as I was studying it this week that, that the way that I naturally pray doesn't really fit these verses. And so, so as I think about the partners that, we, that I have, to, to learn to pray this way for them. Well, that's Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. And I, and I just wonder, coming all full circle to the way that we started, are you lonely? Are you sad? Life is hard. The realities of sin and failure and frustration 
are, are absolutely a part of our lives. But in the gospel, God has an answer. And that answer is not to be alone, but in Jesus to partner with one another, to pursue that together, to get in the car on Thursday night and go somewhere where you can develop partnerships. You say, but midweek is hard for me. Can I just newsflash all of us? Thursday night is easy for whom? Right. Right. I'm doggone tired on Thursday night. And boy, does a night with the family by ourselves, because I'm kind of an introvert. I know that's hard to believe right now, but it's true. Sounds amazing. But God has something even better. You say, but it's not real close to my house. Suck it up, it's okay. You say, but I hate uh, door hangers. Me too. I'm like, someone might open the door. (laughs) Church in the park. Connect. God has connected with you. He is doing a work in your life. Open those doors with others. And something amazing will happen. God will work in you and in them for his kingdom and bring you joy. So I just want joy. It doesn't work that way. Well, I just want a close relationship with God. I just don't have any time for him. It doesn't work that way. Partnership in the gospel in Jesus brings joy.